0: We're back. It is arguably the biggest news story of the past week. Although I think probably it, you know, it has some stiff competition from the rule from the Supreme Court that HMOs uh, uh, cannot be sued, or that the prisoners. Or that the prisoners in Guantanamo are entitled to legal representation nevertheless Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 911 broke all records for a documentary film on its first weekend even though it was playing in something like 800 theaters across the nation and the films it was competing with were playing in something like 2500 to 3000 different theaters which means of course it's played it played pretty much to packed houses every show in every theater from coast to coast. Obviously, a lot of people think this is an important film, and we need to discuss it. To do so, we have uh, four guests, yes, four guests in this segment, to discuss this film with us. If the technology uh, will stay with us, we're going to go to Los Angeles to speak with documentary filmmaker Hannah Shakespeare. We will go to Sacramento to speak with our media correspondent, Gary Chu. We will return here to Davis to speak with our own Dr. Andy Jones from KDVS, and then go back to Los Angeles. to speak with a Hollywood correspondent for the BBC, Gail Murphy, new to the program. All right, joining us now to talk about Michael Moore's new, uh, new production in theaters near you is documentary filmmaker Hannah Shakespeare. Welcome back to the program, Hannah. Thank you, Doug. You were down in La La Land.
1: I am indeed.
0: All right. And uh, you have had a chance to see this movie.
1: I did. I saw it over the weekend.
0: All right, now let's, let's reestablish, you were on many months ago, let's reestablish for our audience uh, your credentials as a documentary filmmaker.
1: Well, I, I made a documentary film last year about three Dominican uh, Roman Catholic sisters who were arrested in Colorado, and I'm back in Los Angeles uh, making my living as a screenwriter.
0: All right, so you're familiar with what you'd call narrative, uh, narrative film being fictional film.
1: Indeed. As yep. well
0: as documentary film, which of course is grounded in reality.
1: Yes, most of the time.
0: <laughs> All right, so give us this give us a skinny. What's your take on Michael Moore's effort here?
1: Well, I'm thrilled that he made the effort and I enjoyed the show enormously and I've spent a lot of time talking to various people around Los Angeles hearing, you know, different reactions to the movie and I continuously hear the complaint that this really isn't doesn't fall into the category of a documentary because he doesn't do an objective examination of the issues.
0: All right, where do you stand on that?
1: Well, I think it's a valid point, but I think it also is a movie that kind of is breaking the mold in the sense that it's okay to actually involve an emotional premise or an emotional point of view and something that also has a political bent or something that would structurally look more like a documentary. So I think it's sort of a new genre and I think it's great.
0: So you agree it's not a documentary, but whatever it is, you're okay with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the term documentary is should be reserved for things that are more objective, but I don't have a problem you know, calling it one thing or the other. I think it sort of remains in a new class.
0: All right, well, if this is a, if this is a new art form, or where do you see it, uh, its place being?
1: Well, I think, I think what the film does successfully is actually ignite an inspiration in people, and it makes them want to do something or to take a position either pro or against what Michael Moore's position is. But I think more importantly, it fills a void that I think the Democratic Party has not been filling over the last, really, 20 years, and that is to reach out to a broad spectrum of people and, you know, tug on their heartstrings and make them feel passionately about the future of their country and the leadership of it.
0: Well, I I certainly think Michael Moore has galvanized people.
1: I think, I think he's galvanized them, and I know that that is a danger. I think it would be easy to sort of pick the movie apart for not being objective. But I think if you want the young voter, the 18- to 21-year-olds, to actually go to the polls, and whether they vote you know, for Bush or whether they vote for Kerry remains to be seen, but the point is to create um, an opinion, and, and in order to create a, an opinion you have to make people feel passionately about something. And I think if the Democratic Party had been more successful at doing that, then we wouldn't be in the position that we're in. I I think that to use the form of art, you know, art meaning movie-making or literature or even, um, I wouldn't say journalism because obviously that should remain objective, but the idea that something that is being presented to a broad party should be done in a way that can talk about politics and still be really interesting. So anybody who watches the movie obviously has the right to go, I totally disagree with that, but at least they're going to have an opinion about something that could theoretically get lost in the press.
0: I've got a feeling the movie's going to get people out of their seats and into uh, voting booths in November one way or the other.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, I'm I'm personally going to try to spend the month of August... um, working on a, on a campaign to make sure that there's a 1-800 number that all voters who can't get to the polls can call and that there are people, you know, legal representatives at each polling area in the country so that there aren't the shenanigans that we saw in Florida again. So, so that's my personal reaction to it, and it was something that, that came about after watching the movie.
0: Well, great. Yeah. Well, Hannah, thanks so much for talking to us. We hope that uh, we can touch base again, and you can update us from what's going on down there in uh, the big city of Los Angeles. Terrific. All right, Hannah.
1: Thank you, Doug. Good to hear from you.
0: All right. Let's go now across uh, across the causeway to Sacramento to speak to our uh, Radio Parallax's own media correspondent, uh, Gary Chu. Gary, how are you? Hello, Doug. How are you? Uh, not doing too bad. I know you. We. You want to say a few words about Michael Moore and Fahrenheit Nine One One? So uh, let let's hear those words. Oh,
2: it's the hottest topic in America today, maybe around the world, and particularly on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I just w- was walking down the hallway where I work today, and was just hearing some other people chatting about the movie. And then uh, I think the Sacramento Bee uh, on Tuesday had uh, two different articles about either the film or uh, the film uh, or Michael Moore uh, next to each other on the editorial page. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. I wrote a review of it also. That's on the. The Tulsa TV Memories website, which anybody can go to, tulsaTVmemories.com. Which okay. I, I saw the movie about two weeks ago and wrote my review All on right, June let's... 20th. And now what's
0: your what's your take?
2: Uh, well, my take is that uh, it's a uh, a very powerful, well put together film with some very very interesting candid moments, uh, uh, particularly of George W. Bush, which. Uh, is uh, causing the uh, neoconservative think-tanks and uh, quasi-journalists who have not been checking their facts so closely over the past 10, 12 to 15 years to be doing so now to make sure they can find something at fault, uh, something wrong with that film. <laughs> it is manipulative, uh, like all uh, films like this are, whether yeah. it's uh, right or left politically. But I it's, should
0: note, it's, be- it's being criticized for not really being a, a true documentary and, and more of a, you know, a one-sided effort. It
2: isn't a documentary in the terms of being dispassionate and uh, being, you know, uh, giving equal time to both sides. It's it's like Michael Moore says it's his own op-ed piece. Okay, that's what it is. And uh, so, but I still think it's a movie that some people should not miss, uh, whether they have one political predilection or another. Uh, I know that I've been hearing also an interesting thing about the film is that the film owner. Uh, Theater operators are having trouble getting the people out of the theaters after the film shows because they want to sit and talk about it.
0: Interesting. And
2: have a little meeting about it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It's something, you know, it's, it's, it brings the people together in discussing it. And the tickets are selling like crazy in the red states and the blue states. Huh. I would say it has the inside track for some sort of an Oscar next year, much to the chagrin of people who are politically Boy, opposed
0: to it. I think it. there'll be some efforts made to stop that from happening.
2: You know, Michael Moore is also in another documentary, if you want to use that term, that's uh, uh, showing in Sacramento down at the Crest right now, called yeah. The Corporation.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that.
2: Now, The Corporation is, uh, is a much different film. It's actually more of what you would call a documentary than an op-ed piece. In fact, it almost gets boring in places, although the the subject is is uh, uh, something that people are talking about quite a bit today it, it even gives the beginning on how corporations began back in the uh, 19th century right and uh, Michael Moore is uh, somebody who talks in it also the very controversial figure Noam Chomsky is
0: in it. Yeah, but we we spoke with Dr. Peter Phillips of Project and He mentioned this 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 issue. Mm-hmm.
2: One of the interesting things about the corporation is part of it features a couple of uh, reporters who were uh, work for Fox News in Florida, and they had a story about uh, the use of antibiotics.
0: Oh and, yeah, Jane Acrey. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
2: She's involved with the film
0: uh, in dairy
2: farming and its hazards
0: uh, uh,
2: for cows and people. Right. And the station tried to kill the story right. by their silence. And uh, one of them not use the word cancer in the copy, yeah. and all that sort of thing. And that was a little bit on the scary side to see that, to see how they were trying to manage the news and not not make that corporation mad.
0: Yeah, she finally, I think she finally prevailed. But Fox's argument in court was that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with telling lies over the air. That was <laughs> their argument. That they, they yeah. That you know that's... <laughs> there's no law that says you can't lie to the public. Mm-hmm.
2: One other thing about the corporation Doug that I thought was interesting was that uh, uh, back uh, some time ago the uh, the Supreme Court made some decisions about uh, equal protection under the law of the Fourteenth Amendment and said that corporations were like human beings right so the corporation the film took it one step further and uh, Checked out the tendencies, the psychological tendencies of the corporation, <laughs> and said, What kind of a human being would this be oh, psychologically? Yes. And it was a. It turns out that there was an FBI psychologist said the <laughs> corporation would be a psychopath.
0: That's right. The Economist magazine wrote that up. I'd forgotten that. What kind of individual would a corporation be? A, a psycho.
2: Yes. So couple of good documentaries. Well, boy, but, I have to go take
0: in the corporation. Yeah,
2: well, the, the you know 9 911 is not really a documentary. It's a it's a polemic from a very polemical guy sure and is. uh uh but uh, something that uh, uh most of the media doesn't carry anymore, so we need to go to the theater and see it.
0: All right. Well, fair enough. Well, Gary, thanks for the update. Well, uh We'll uh, make a point uh, if you ha- tell everyone if you haven't seen Fahrenheit 911, please do so. And uh, and I'm going to join the crowds that are out to see the corporation. That sounds like a worthy effort as well. Fair enough. Well, uh, continuing our discussion of Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 911 uh, would be a talk with our own public affairs co-host uh, KDVS's own Dr. Andy Jones. Dr. Andy, are you there?
3: I'm here, Doug. Good to hear your voice.
0: Well, it's good to have you on. Uh, we've been talking to, uh, to Hannah Shakespeare, film documentarian, and, and, and uh, Gary Chu, our media correspondent, as you know. And, and we need to go and uh, get your two cents, because you are actually a, a, it's in your blood to review films.
3: It's true. My father was a movie reviewer for CBS in Washington, D.C. for almost 30 years during my, my early years. And uh, my brother reviews films on occasion now. He's worked for a Variety in the past, as well as Us Weekly, and now is writing for People Magazine.
0: We should remind listeners that uh, your show, Dr. Andrew's Poetry and Technology Hour, is on the same time slot every Wednesday.
3: Just before you. it's. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to uh, get you ready to bat clean up for the KDBS <laughs> team.
0: <laughs> well, Willie Mays went third and McCovey went fourth. Good, good, good way to go. Um, now you, unfortunately, have not seen Fahrenheit 911.
3: You know, it's been sold out every time I go, and my wife tried to go yesterday. She had to see something called The Notebook because on a Monday evening at 7:30 in Davis, Fahrenheit 911 was sold out
0: again. Well, we expected to sell out in Davis, but I was quite surprised that all over L.A. when I was down this weekend, uh, you know, it was just hard to get a ticket. It's an exciting time to be Michael Moore, certainly. That's for sure. I wish we could have gotten him when he came to Davis a few months back. We tried and tried, we just couldn't get an interview out of the guy. He was too busy. I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah, well, it'll be about a year from now, I think, before we can do it. But we'll, we will keep trying, and we and one of us will succeed, I'm sure. But uh, I know you can talk about, uh, Gary mentioned the movie The Corporation, and there is, since we're going to talk documentaries, another film that, that you've seen that I know you can recommend.
3: It's called The Control Room, mm-hmm. and it's playing at the Tower Theater right next door to where Many people are seeing Fahrenheit 9/11, and it's about Al Jazeera, the television network out of Qatar, the small country of Qatar, that uh, represents more an uh, Arabic uh, viewpoint on the news, and uh, which has often been vilified by uh, Donald Rumsfeld and yeah. other folks representing the Bush administration. Right. People who follow your show, who follow the news closely won't find lots of surprises in especially the first three quarters of, of the film. But the the film comes to an end, uh, just about the time when in real life the uh major military operations were supposedly coming to an end or so Bush announced. And uh there is that one riveting event that I remember watching live on television of the downing of that famous huge statue right, of right. Saddam Hussein.
0: Well, the the, the photo op of, of the war, yeah.
3: Exactly. And, and it was interesting to watch uh, this event from the point of view of uh, the Al Jazeera broadcasters. Many of them were still visibly shaken from watching the footage of one of their main Baghdad correspondents uh, catching a missile from a U.S. plane and dying. And he became, a, I guess, a, a martyr for the cause of uh, free expression and alternative viewpoints while this war was uh, being covered by Al Jazeera. Yeah. So uh, the, the footage that we've all seen is the, the, the throngs, the crowds, coming out of right. Baghdad streets right. and eagerly uh, climbing to the top and, uh, and downing the statue with the help of an occasional uh, Marine. Uh-huh. What we found out instead is that when you pan back, you see that the crowds around the statue are actually uh, much smaller. And, uh, and then one interesting thing that, that I found is that one of the producers at Al Jazeera, who was originally from Baghdad, uh, watched some of the, the interviews uh, with the folks who were downing the statue and some of the, the chanting that was going on, and he didn't recognize a Baghdad accent in a uh-huh. lot of them, uh-huh. suggesting that, uh, that these men were brought in from who knows where. Uh, He also pointed out that one of them had a Iraqi flag from uh, a much older administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, A 10-year-old flag was just ready in his pocket in case uh, U.S. forces were to show up (laughs) and offer enough protection to down Uh the famous statue of Saddam Hussein. So it's a sort of perspective on the news, as is often true with uh, hard-hitting progressive documentaries, the sort of perspective on the news that you're not going to get from uh, Dan Rather.
0: Well, I'm glad that that is in the movie. When that, when that uh, statue-toppling episode did take place, uh, Mr. McMillan, my producer here, directed me to a website that showed a, 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 a much more wide-angle view. And you could see that although the way they filmed it, it looked as though the square was teeming with throngs, there really couldn't have been more than 70 people uh, in front of the cameras. The square was by no means filled with throngs of Iraqis celebrating the, the, the downfall of the statue.
3: You know, one thing that interested me in this particular documentary is that after that one reporter from Al Jazeera was killed, people in Iraq who welcomed those reporters previously told them, barred them from their homes, from their neighborhoods even, because they were worried that those reporters were going to be targeted by additional U.S. missiles. And as a result... There weren't a lot of other reporters available to give an alternative perspective on that big photo op of the toppling of the statue of Saddam Hussein because many of them had to leave Iraq for their own safety and because they weren't welcomed by any of the population there.
0: Wow, well that sounds, I think I need to see this movie.
3: I think you do. It's it's well worth it, and I really do appreciate the Tower Theater for its uh, interesting alternative choices. I don't know where else you can see uh, documentaries, at least ones that are not made by Michael Moore, Right. except uh, the Tower Theater and the Crest Theater.
0: Yeah, I think the Crest has the corporation, and the Tower has control room, and who has Supersize Me?
3: I don't know, but you know, that's the uh, the fourth, I think, largest uh, grossing documentary in the history of the
0: medium. Have you seen it?
3: No, no I, I haven't.
0: haven't. Well, let's go see it. I look forward to it, Doug. All right, Dr. A, let, let's go see that movie and report back to our audience what we find. That sounds good. As a right. longtime
3: vegetarian. I'm sure that uh, it will speak to me.
0: <laughs> All right. Take care. And now let's go to Hollywood. Actually go down to Hollywood, to someone who really is a Hollywood correspondent. We've had one on our show before, uh, David Rosenbloom, but uh, Gail Murphy actually is for real, the genuine article. Gail, are you there?
4: I'm certainly here.
0: Gail, we're glad to welcome you on board. We should point out to our audience that you actually do file reports for BBC Television and Radio, as well as the Associated Press Radio.
4: Guilty as charged.
0: You're with ABC 17 years?
4: Yes, ABC News for 17 years, a Hollywood correspondent for them. Well, oh, I kind of know my way around here.
0: I guess you do. So, uh, by all means, we're, we're, we're discussing Michael Moore, Fahrenheit 911. What uh, what's the buzz down in, uh, in Hollywood?
4: Well, everyone's seeing it. Everyone's going, people are taking off work and lining up and going to see this movie. Um, although, you know, the, for those of us that were watching the deal go down when it was happening, this is like, you know, a really great elongated 60-minute wrap-up, you know, three years later. Uh, but uh, it's the buzz. You can't, um, you can't go to a, a bar or an AA meeting without talking about it in this town.
0: Now, uh, this whole thing, the whole thing with, 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 with Miramax and Disney and the whole thing back and forth, that was, that was a, I guess that was talked about quite a bit as well.
4: Yes, yes. Well, th- I mean, that story is just oh-so-last Tuesday. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
4: I mean, you know, D- Disney put up the money for the film, saw uh-huh. the film, told Miramax they weren't going to distribute it. The Weinsteins bought the film back. From uh, from Disney, and um, it is now being distributed by Lionsgate, which is interesting because in it, on its opening okay. weekend...
0: Who, who is Lionsgate, exactly?
4: It's an independent uh, film uh, distribution company. Uh, and the film made in the first weekend more than Lionsgate had paid for the rights to distribute it, which is absolutely amazing. And what ultimately could happen, or actually what is happening here is... Um, it is becoming the first ever blockbuster uh, documentary.
0: there's never been one?
4: No, there's never been one. You know, there have been, you know, there's been concert footage and IMAX films which have done very, very well. Uh, But nothing along the vein of this. I mean, documentary, schmockumentary, doesn't matter. No film has uh, done what this film is doing.
0: Yeah, 800, 800, uh, only 800 theaters, which I guess is about one-third the normal number.
4: Something like that. They had 868 screens.
0: But you, like, Spider-Man will open to something like 3,000...
4: About 800 million screens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 was the biggest opening day for a documentary. It pulled in uh, 800 and eight, I'm sorry, 8.6 million.
0: Well, Gail Murphy, this is going to be a story that's going to continue to evolve. Uh, we, we would like to enlist you, uh, as has the BBC and AP, as our Hollywood correspondent.
4: Well, I, on behalf of the Academy... <laughs> Thank you. You like me. You really, really like me. I'll have to talk to my agent.
0: Well, we're hoping we'll get you on next week to talk about more about what you do, because what you do is actually quite interesting in its own right.
4: Oh, well, I want to thank all the little people for making this opportunity possible. <laughs>
0: <sighs> all right, Gail. All
4: right, kisses from Hollywood.
0: All righty. Thanks so much. Well, uh, there you have it, Uh, a variety of opinions about uh, Michael Moore and other documentary films out there. I think you, the listening audience, uh, would do well to take advantage of what, uh, at the moment, seems to be an embarrassment of riches in terms of uh, quality films of a documentary nature. Um, You should see Fahrenheit 911. You should see The Corporation. You should see Control Room, and we hope you will also see Supersize Me. Um, I've only seen the first one, Michael Moore's effort. I'm going to try and uh, take in the other three over the next two weeks, and we'll report back to you about uh, those. Thanks again to Gail Murphy, Gary Chu, Dr. Andy Jones, and Hannah Shakespeare. I should note that when I was in Los Angeles, as I was this weekend, uh, hoping to see the film, Michael Moore was interviewed by Howard Stern. I don't like Howard Stern as general rule, but he did a very good job with Michael Moore. He himself is angry about what's um, perhaps going to happen to him, and it's said that he's on the warpath against the Bush administration. Now, people called in and accused Michael Moore of being a liar, usually because, you know, one particular detail wasn't 100% presented accurately, and he will surely be attacked for anything in that movie, anything and everything in that movie, as a matter of fact, I'd recommend that you go to michaelmoore.com where he makes an effort to rebut the charges uh, being made against him that he has uh, lied. Uh, you know, th- it's mostly quibbling. You know, and no one's going to get things right 100%, I think, in almost any circumstance. But if you want to hear what Michael Moore has to say about the people who are attacking him, by all means, go to michaelmoore.com. Stay tuned for our third segment. We will continue, uh, briefly this time, our discussion that we started last week with a legend of broadcasting. Richard C. Hodlett, formerly of CBS Radio and News, also of NPR Radio, and currently writing for the Christian Science Monitor. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break.